Welcome to the Auto Supply Chain Profits Podcast, where we help you prepare for the future in the auto supply chain. I'm Jan Griffiths, your co-host and producer. I'm Kathy Fisher, your podcast host. Our mission is to help automotive manufacturers recognize, prepare for, and profit from whatever comes next in the auto supply chain. I'm Terry Onika, your podcast host. We'll be giving you best practices and key supply chain insights from industry leaders. Because the auto supply chain is where the money is. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Auto Supply Chain Profits podcast. Let's check in with my co-host, Terry Onika. Terry, what have you been up to lately? A couple of things. I I got word uh, last week that I'm going to receive an award at the Odette Conference in Berlin for my contributions to MMOGLE. So that was exciting. And then my other personal news is I ran the Detroit Free Press Half Marathon and I placed first in my age group and I had a horrible stomach ache the whole way. I ate I ate too close to running. I ran a little bit later and I didn't feel quite right. So I thought, oh, I just I did okay in my time. I thought my time was okay. When I got home, I just went to check the final stats and I took first place. So I was super excited after that stomach ache. That is awesome. Congratulations. (laughs) Just another lesson in mindset, right? It's about mindset. You put it in your head, you were going to finish that race and you finished the race. And I wish that we could bottle that and give that to the young people who are coming up through our colleges and universities today. And that is a perfect lead-in for our guest today. We know that out there in automotive, in supply chain, one of our biggest concerns is talent. What are we doing to make sure that the talent coming into supply chain that we have the right curriculum in place, they have the right skill set so that they can come in and be successful. And lo and behold, who do we have with us today but Thomas Kuhl. And Thomas is the Professor of Operations and Supply Chain Management at Arizona State University, a well-recognized school. But wait, it doesn't stop there. He is also the co-author of the go-to operations handbook that we use in the world of academia. And for the first time, he is going to co-author this book with Bill Stevenson, and that book will be out later in 2024 with, and our audience is going to love this, an increased focus on supply chain management and operations. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. That was a Incredible introduction. I will put the links to your announcement about the book in the show notes. How's that, Thomas? Oh, that's 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 wonderful. You know, and uh, you know, we're used to fact being fact checked. That's one of the uh, wonders of technology. Is students sit there and they listen to you lecture, and they're instantly able to check online. So, Thomas, Arizona State consistently performs in the top five supply chain universities in the United States. What's your secret weapon to always? ranking so high? I guess what we uh, have done is made the word exclusivity a dirty word. And uh, being exclusive is uh, no longer a, uh, a fashionable thing. It's all about inclusivity. And when you devote an entire institution to an inclusive approach to education, 
ah, you got to be innovative and you got to do new things. We want to maximize excellence and maximize access. And those two historically in the old world tradition were not in, uh, 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 coexistent and we've changed that. And so what we've done, uh, we've kind of re reconfigured our institutions, reconfigured our our colleges, they are no longer aligned by classic old uh, uh, silos. They are integrated, and they're continually being integrated. And it changes how you approach students, who your students are, who your market of students are, and who comes to uh, hire your students. Can you give us an example of that? With respect to a, uh, a new program that we've developed in the supply chain world, it's the public and nonprofit supply chain or public nonprofit procurement is what we're calling it right now. And it's the realization that um, supply chain is not just exclusive to business. It's you know, a lot of organizations require it. I mean, my work a lot has been with government and my work has realized uh, great value for those who are using that. But we also have a program that's uh, for nonprofits as well as growing. It's, it's just starting, but it's a, an example of how we are expanding ourselves, partnering with other disciplines, public administration discipline, procurement law, and those types of areas. Sustainability is another big part of that program. So Thomas, in prior conversations, you were sharing with me as a professor, you're teaching students now different than you ever have before. Can you share with our audience that? Because I think it's really good learning as to how do people learn today. And there might be some great advice out there for companies as well, too. We're all in the middle of struggling with this. The boundaries are getting blurred across domains and disciplines. Every class has its own web site through a, some learning management system. And we deliver a lot of our content through that. And the meaning of a classroom is it's much more of a two-way street, a two-way interaction. And we're leveraging the ways in which to, to do that. The technology demands of any class has gone up dramatically. And therefore, as a, as a faculty, you become more reliant on those who are experts in the technology and in the area. We have a, for instance, a what we call a one-touch studio, where we go in and we develop uh, video content. It has a lot, it has a green screen and, and all these other technology that sits around it. We develop videos, but then we pass it over to an editing group. Editing group then uh, refines it and puts all the right uh, information in it. We, we sometimes have graphics pop in and out. It's a team-based approach. We have instructional designers that help us through uh, develop the learning management system. Now, it's a team-based uh, approach, and it, it has escalated the expectation of students as well. You're meeting your your students where they're at from a technology perspective, which is great because that obviously enhances the learning experience. But looking forward, Gen A, any thoughts about Gen A? I love it when I ask that question because people go, what? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> There's always the next yeah. generation. You know, we're still, I guess, trying to get our full arms around Gen Z. And it, it's a little bit of a misnomer, I think, to exclusively think of this new generation or any new generation as, as bringing on the change. Because I think, I mean, I, I teach executives quite a bit and their expectations are quite high for my video content and my, my online development. And LA. It is 
more of a cultural phenomena, uh, societal, than it is, I think, a generational. But generational does help, I guess, instigate that. I mean, I, I think uh, probably the one of the largest areas that we are trying to push into and continually are growing is the gamification of, of education. And it works. I mean, the, the nice thing is that everyone likes it. And everyone likes to play. Even the even when I get some of the more seasoned executives, uh, believe me, they they enjoy playing the video games. I would say that just any gamification is just going to grow. And standing up lecturing is falling slowly down on the list of useful things. That's really interesting to know. And I hope a lot of our listeners are listening to this because we often talk on this show, a lot of the technology we see in manufacturing is old, right? We're not working on current cool things. And so I hope people are really listening to what you have to say, because I thought that was really fascinating how how it's changing. You're spot on, Terry, with, you know, managers need to look at how incentives and information is communicated and how interaction occurs. We're working with Amazon, for instance, they've figured out ways in which to uh, gamify to some degree the the day-to-day work. And in, in small ways, I can't remember exactly what they used to call it, but uh, the way they would the time studies and uh, every day they would get some feedback and they would get, a, get pay based on their uh, performance of the day. And it's not quite like that, but it's a, a little more holistic. It's a way to uh, gamify the work environment. And it, it's uh, it's... You know, what, what's great about it? Immediate feedback, high visibility of information, uh, holistic thinking, and motivation. And it, it's, it works. And so I think uh, you know, managers need to rethink how they incentivize and manage. So looking at the students today coming out of Arizona State, what are their job expectations? What are they looking for in the area of supply chain? Can, is there any insights that you can give us? There's a lot of moaning and groaning that I've heard with some uh, executives and managers about, oh, well, you know, these they they they, they want to run the place too soon. You know, they don't want to earn their hard knock. Yeah, I get that, but you know, people want responsibility, and I would rather have a bunch of people who wanted responsibility than a bunch of people who didn't want responsibility and take responsibility. So, the students want to feel like they can influence something and have an influence on their work environment pretty soon. And, and you know, some would say prematurely. And one of the methodologies that we've been recommending is that provide students with projects that are, you know, maybe they don't have decisional fiduciary responsibility or something like that, but they do have a set project that they can work on and have domain over and, and influence. And, and it gives them something to feel like they're building a repertoire and an expertise and, and, and demonstration of their skills. I mean, but going back to this issue of feedback and gamification, you know, one of the great things, one of the things about, I guess, gamification, you're leveling up, you know, you're level up, level up, level up. But uh, if I'm stuck in a job and I don't feel like I'm leveling up ever, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling bad or something wrong. And rather than, again, complain about it, it's better to embrace that and figure out a way to leverage that need to feel like I am, I'm progressing. Well, that's what students want. What we do is we train them to hit the ground running. Uh, ASU is known for its ability to you know, provide students who can immediately start to get their hands dirty, and you can trust them to do that. We give them a lot of experience, experiential learning. I mentioned that. The simulations, we have a lot of simulations that we give 
and expose students to where they really feel uh, and f- they learn by doing more than by listening and repeating. It's more by doing. And also, obviously, a, a very robust internship program. And, and we have a lot of live projects that we expose students to in a class instead of giving them a case study that's a, you know, been written and, you know, you know, whatever. We give them something that's live and real. One of the cases was the City of Surprise Police Department. They had a capacity problem with their uh, patrol officers. And that was a live case. And students worked on that and proposed a solution. It was amazing. And uh, what, a, what a great way to uh, realize the realities of, of having dirty data, having different stakeholders, competing interests, uh, and then figure out how to navigate through that. That's what students need to be able to do. It's fascinating because I mentor students in supply chain myself. And oftentimes it's interesting, like the capacity of the police. A lot of students I mentor would say they were doing that as their job. They wouldn't see that as a supply chain, right? And I'm like, yes, you're doing <laughs> supply chain. Look, listen, you're managing capacity is everything to do with supply chain. So it's really interesting. It's really in every facet of our life. And I guess we can, not that we want to thank COVID for anything, but it really brought attention in the world of supply chain like we've never seen it before, which is really good. It needed that. A question for you. So I often see in manufacturing still, there's still a lot of old manufacturing environments out there that they're not up to date on technology. Sometimes they may feel dingy when you walk into the plant. How can students today go into that environment and gently nudge plant management or the corporation management that we got to we got to get better at this, right? We got to embrace technology. How do we manage this? Because I, I really want this younger generation to walk into manufacturing and think it's cool, but the state it's in today, there's just a lot of work that needs to be done. So what can students do to make that change? And let's let's add another dimension to that. You talked about the environment. It could be a dingy factory, but let's talk about culture. If students are walking into, particularly in automotive, if they're walking into a command and control kind of culture where it's, you know, do this or else, go over there and do that. And I'll come back and check on you. And maybe there's some micromanagement involved. Because I think sometimes we always like to talk about, oh, this is great. This is wonderful workplace. You're going to use this technology. It's going to be awesome. You're going to work on this project. It's very experiential. But then the harsh reality of the culture they're in and trying to convince people to do things and people are not going to do things that a student's going to ask them to do. How do you prepare them for all of that? I do tell all the students, I said, before you leave, you need to learn and make sure you have the ability to learn about being a student of culture. Uh, When you enter into any organization, know and understand that culture. Uh, It's not just, you know, dirty, stingy manufacturing. Uh, You can go into an insurance, beautiful, pristine, you know, glass building with all the beauty, and it's the same thing. It's uh, maybe even worse. And you can have a very dirty place and have a very lively and very energetic culture. Culture and the social elements of a work environment are very, very important. And that's why we tell them to be students, so you can learn how to survive and thrive, more importantly, how to thrive in that culture. And if you're not aware of it and not studying it, you're going to be a victim of it. So I think being cognizant of the influence and importance of culture, number one, then learn that ahead of time. So as you're interviewing, as you're talking, you're interviewing them for, you know, what is their culture and how would you, how would they handle 
sticky situations or competing priorities, how do they handle those things? The biggest thing that employers are facing, obviously we know this, is that they're competing for labor, competing for uh, how to attract uh, the right talent and how to keep that talent. Uh, that's a classic problem of, of, of turnover, especially you know, younger, obviously been exposed to that willingness to, to, to move to another environment or organization pretty quickly. You win based on, obviously, some of the old basics of pay and whatnot, but you win based on that narrative, aligning with a student's narrative of, of what they feel deeply about. We have a, a what's called a supply chain management association. It's a group that brings in companies to talk to our supply chain students. And they have one-on-ones and a lot of roundtables. In fact, just this week is where we're having it. But it's the Supply Chain Management Association. It's run by the students. And it's the student's voice. And executives should find out what is it that attracts students. And I think if you can convince an executive, not the HR people, but the, the plant manager, like you say, you know, it's expensive to leave an organization. But those who are setting the incentive systems and the way it's managed, it's amazing what the, the benefits of being an attractive employer is. You know, it's interesting where you talk about the gamification and about plants, because you're right, there's a lot of plants out there that may not be the most beautiful plant in the world, but they have gamified what's going on there. And we have a product called QED Red Zone, and it's a connected workforce solution. And the shop floor workers work on iPads. They can alert that something's going wrong on the line. Upper management can see what's going on. They get kudos and gold stars when they you know, have a really great day. And they've really gamified it. And it's amazing when we get done with that implementation, those workers are just so excited. They're on fire. They're so happy about what they're doing. So I think a lot of things you're saying are really true because I'm seeing that now that they've learned how to gamify the shop floor. It's it's really cool. It's fun to come to work every day. And then the nice thing is just shift turnovers, which used to be the worst. Everybody can see what happened on the prior shift and you can continue on. So that I like your advice too about the leveling up. And I think that's going to change the way I do things. So think about the younger generation is wanting to continue to level up to show them. That. I think that's really, really yeah, good we all advice like that too. Yes, exactly. And Thomas... What is the one piece of advice you would give to these leaders as they contemplate what they need to do to bring in supply chain talent into their organizations? One thing. I would first start by the power that they could achieve by bringing supply chain thinking into other aspects of what they do beyond buying parts and shipping product. If you think about the uh, talent as a supply chain, all of a sudden that, that changes your mechanics of how you enable and empower your workforce. You look at uh, labor markets as a supply base and you know you need to manage that supply base and you need to figure out, just like when you talk about being a customer of choice to suppliers, you want to be an employer of choice. And how do, how do I bring awareness to the labor market that I am a, an employer of choice. Uh, how, do I, uh, how do I look at human capital as this resource that has ebbs and flows in its level of uh, maintenance that it requires? I mean, think about your machinery as a, you need preventative maintenance on your machinery and people, a lot of people sometimes do that well, sometimes don't. But 
at least they're aware that, that, that that's such a thing that exists. Now, what about preventative maintenance on the human capital side? What preventative maintenance are you doing there? I used to get very angry when my managers would be very proud of themselves staying late at work, working past the, the when the shift ended and they would stay there and they'd work late and they'd be there and they, they would come in on the weekends and they'd be very proud of that. And I would... I'd be angry. I would say, well, that's a sign that we have a problem. We have a, we're, we're over capacity. We're over, we're not properly sizing the work for you as, a, as an individual. And if I was overworking a machine, I'd be very aware of that. And I would know that it's eventually going to fail. People don't think that. They think human capital is this kind of never ending resource. They just kind of <laughs> keep, keep digging down, digging down. Eventually you're going to hit bottom and then, you know, and you burn people out. And then, yeah, I think ever, even if it wasn't such a tight labor market, that would be a non-win strategy. But it's really accentuated in a tight labor market. So I think taking a supply chain view with with, with labor, but also helping your uh, other aspects of a business think more using supply chain thinking, uh, like we alluded to earlier in the in, in this talk. So I think that would be my piece of advice: is, is to bring and help others have that more system interdependent network value stream thinking beyond just production. And there it is. Thomas Kuhl, thank you very much for your time today. Happy to be here. Uh, and I really hope we get likes on this and uh, we level up. <laughs> there we go. Me too. <laughs> Let's level up. Let's, Let's level, level up. up. <laughs> thank you. Are you ready to find the money in your supply chain? Visit www.autosupplychainprofits.com to learn how or click the link in the show notes below.